Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6 New International Version No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Joshua chapter 1 verse 5 New International Version Hello, I'm Victoria Kay. Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. Today on Anchored by Truth, we're continuing our new series that we're calling The Complementary Attributes of God. With me in the studio is R.D. Fierro, author and founder of Crystal Sea Books. We wanted to do this series to help us start thinking a little more deeply about the magnificent God we serve. R.D., why did you decide to call the series The Complementary Attributes of God? Well, the goal for Anchored by Truth is always to focus on ways to help listeners increase their confidence that the Bible truly is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. Now, this position, that the Bible is inspired, inerrant, and infallible, is increasingly challenged today. It's challenged not only in the world and the secular portions of our culture, but sadly, sometimes it's also challenged within the church. And there are a great many faithful Christians, undoubtedly there are a great many faithful Christians, who still do adhere to the belief that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, but when you ask them why do they believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, they have a hard time articulating the basis for that belief. So the central purpose at Anchored by Truth is to focus on the logic, reason, and evidence that demonstrates that the Bible is God's Word, that the Bible is God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word. But, of course, a focus on the Word of God isn't nearly as meaningful as it can be if we don't understand who God is. So, toward that end, we wanted to take a few episodes of Anchored by Truth and just focus on God. So, this series, The Complementary Attributes of God, is a sort of extended meditation on God's excellence and magnificence. Now, the way that we are doing our meditation, our focus on God, is by contemplating the specific attributes that God possesses. And so, we've called this series The Complementary Attributes of God because while we want to discuss the fact that God has an innumerable, a large number of attributes, and that each one of those attributes shows a different aspect of God's character, the thing we really want to focus on through this series is how those attributes of God all harmonize perfectly. You know, when you look at a beautiful jewel, it's possible to focus on each individual facet separately. You can kind of zero in, focus, put all your attention on one facet of the jewel. 
But you really don't see the fire and the brilliance of a wonderful jewel until you step back and you see the complete effect that all of the facets produce together when they are examined in a really bright light. Well, God, of course, has a great many attributes, and each is beautiful in its own way. But considering how God's attributes complement each other perfectly really shows us how astoundingly perfect God really is. So let's remind everyone of the vocabulary lesson we went through in our first episode of the series. Two words that are pronounced the same but are spelled differently are called heterographs. The word complementary, that is, complementary, C-O-M-P-L-I-M-E-N-T-A-R-Y, and complementary, which is spelled the same except that it's P-L-E rather than P-L-I, are heterographs. Their pronunciation is the same, but they have different meanings. Complementary, with an I, can mean to give something away for free, as in getting a complimentary box of donuts. Well, I'd like that. I'm sure you would. (laughs) Or complimentary with an I can also mean to express admiration or praise for someone. If you say you have a wonderful smile, you're giving someone a compliment. Compliment with an I. But complimentary with an E means to combine two or more things together in such a way as to emphasize the qualities of each of those things or that the two things complete one another. A tennis ball and racket are considered complementary goods. Together, they complete the purpose for which they were designed. It's not that you couldn't throw a tennis ball or hit something with a tennis racket, even if they're not together. But doing that wouldn't be the highest and best use. Used together, a tennis ball and a tennis racket fulfill the purpose for which they were designed. The title of the series is The Complementary Attributes of God. Complementary was an E, because all of God's attributes work together in perfect harmony. Great introduction to the first set of attributes of God that we want to discuss today, God's transcendence and God's eminence. But before we get into that part of the discussion, let's take just a couple of minutes and do a brief review of what we discussed on our last episode of Anchored by Truth. Last time we saw that all of God's attributes arise from a God who is both infinite and perfect in His nature. So we really want to make sure people understand that all of God's attributes originate from a God who is both infinite and perfect. Well, then as that infinite and perfect God begins to act within his creation, we start to see the manifestation of those attributes. But sometimes, as we noted last time, you will hear people say that this or that attribute of God is infinite because they're hearkening back to the fact that God in his essence or nature is infinite. For instance, sometimes you might hear someone say that God is infinitely merciful. Well, it's true that God is infinite in his character or in his nature, but it is not really true to say that all of God's attributes as they are manifested within creation are in fact infinite, certainly not the attribute of God's mercy. What you're concerned about is that if someone says that God is infinitely merciful, they might get the idea that an infinitely merciful God would never pronounce judgment on anyone or consign anyone to hell. And that is a very dangerous conclusion for someone to form. God's essence is certainly infinite as his power and knowledge, but when it comes to applying his attributes to his creation, God does limit the application. 
God's offer of mercy to those who refuse to place their trust in Him ends when they die or when He decides to come again. So people need to understand that while God is infinite, His mercy, patience, and forbearance are not. The reason we want to be careful about making this distinction is to help people from forming the wrong conclusions. Exactly. God is a God of both justice and mercy. If God were only a God of justice, when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, God would have expelled Adam and Eve from the Garden, and that would have been pretty much the end of the story. Adam and Eve and all of their descendants, which includes all of us, would have been lost forever. But God's mercy complements God's justice. So thankfully, Adam and Eve's rebellion wasn't the end of the story. Because God is omniscient, he knows everything. Well, that means that God knew that he had to prepare a plan of redemption before Adam and Eve actually fell in the garden. God prepared a plan to save a people for himself. So out of God's mercy, he actually began the implementation of his plan of redemption at the same time that he pronounced the judgment on the initial consequences of Adam and Eve's rebellion. Now, the events that are described in chapter 3 of Genesis are just a very clear presentation of how God's attributes are perfectly integrated. God's mercy and God's justice both came into play at exactly the same time, which was immediately after Adam and Eve rebelled. So we are going back to the observation that it's been said that all heresies begin with a misunderstanding of the nature of God. So we want people to understand that God is a merciful God, but you can get a distorted view of God and how he will treat and interact with people and us if we forget that God is not just a merciful God, but he is also a God of justice. God's justice acts in a complementary fashion with his mercy. So trying to separate or elevate one attribute over another can produce a distorted view of how God interacts with his creation and with his creatures, especially us. We want our listeners to know that we're well aware that there are a great many differing concepts about God that exist around the world, and even in this country. But it is important to emphasize that varying concepts about God don't affect God as he is at all. God is who he is. He even said that to Moses when Moses asked who he should say was sending him to free the Israelites from Pharaoh. God said, Tell them, I am sent you. I am that I am. God doesn't change, so how we think about him doesn't affect his character or nature in the slightest. That's good news and bad news. Because God doesn't change, we can count on his promises to us just as much as the first people he gave them to thousands of years ago. But also, because God doesn't change, when he prescribed the transcendent moral principles in the Ten Commandments almost 4,000 years ago, they haven't changed either. The point is, it's important to know God as he is. We must not be swayed by prevailing popular trends or opinions, especially if those opinions are inconsistent with what we learn about God from the Bible. So, where do you want to start for today? As I mentioned earlier, I'd like to consider God's complementary attributes of transcendence and immanence. When we say that God is transcendent, we mean that God literally transcends his creation. Some religions or philosophies, like pantheism, see God as part of the creation. In pantheism, quote, all is God and God is all, unquote. 
But that is quite different from how Christians view the relationship between God and the created order. Christians know that God did create everything that exists, but God's essence is not part of the created order. God's relationship to his creation is very similar to a painter's relationship with their painting. The painter painted the picture, but it's not part of the picture. And frankly, the painter has power over the picture. They could change the picture at any time or make an entirely new painting if they wanted to. Right. So God's attribute of transcendence means that God transcends his creation. He is separate and apart from his creation, and he still has complete power over his creation. Now, sometimes when people hear this description about God, about his transcendence, and about his sovereignty over his creation, they may sort of form the impression that God no longer has much, if anything, to do with the created order. You know, many deists, as opposed to theists, see God as a kind of disinterested observer of the created order. The deist might see God as someone who created everything, but they take the attitude that once God set everything in motion, now God just sort of stands back and watches everything from afar. This view is that God may be like the person who owns an ant farm. Ant farm owner watches the ants through the glass, but the ant farm owner does not interfere with the activity of the ants as they go about their business and building their nests or doing whatever they're doing within the glass-enclosed ant farm. I think you're dating yourself. Today, it's more likely someone would have a digital ant farm. Less mess and no danger of the glass breaking. Well, I probably am dating myself, but fortunately... The ant farm analogy does not represent how God relates to his creation. That's where the attribute of God's eminence comes in. A simple definition of eminence would be that God is present within his creation. There used to be a famous seminary school professor who would ask his students whether God was transcendent or imminent. This naturally would generate a great deal of discussion until the professor settled the discussion by telling the students God was both. Exactly. God is both transcendent and imminent. God created everything that exists, but God is not subject to or limited by his creation. But God is also not a distant or disinterested landlord. God had a specific purpose for creating the universe and everything that is in the universe, including us. And after God ceased his creative activity, he began his sustaining activity. God didn't just back away, move away, leave the neighborhood, so to speak. God moved from being the creator of everything to being the sustainer of everything. And as part of sustaining everything, God is actively superintending all the events within his created order to achieve his intended purposes. And so God is not just transcendent above, beyond, outside, and sovereign control of his creation. God is also imminent. And in his eminence, God is omnipresent. You know, sometimes we know that our earth is special within God's plan because on earth is where the drama of the creation, the fall and redemption is taking place. But God isn't just present on this earth. God is equally present throughout all parts of his creation. So it's important for people to remember that even though earth is a special focus for God in terms of how he is working within his created order, by no means is God's presence in the created order limited to just being on this earth. 
So this starts to really challenge people, I think, in how they contemplate God and his magnificence, because God is not just a God who is transcendent, sovereign, above, outside, beyond creation, in effect, but God is also imminent. God chooses to participate actively in what goes on within his creation. So God is not just transcendent, he is also imminent. Yes, but here is where some head-scratching comes in. It's hard for us to understand how God can possess both qualities. It's easy for people to understand the painter analogy. The painter can do anything they want with the painting, from the outside. But there is no way a human painter can ever put themselves into the painting and start interacting with the characters or setting that they have painted, at least not outside a science fiction or fantasy novel. Well, the key word that you just used is human painter. That's why we have to be sure that we never lose sight of the fact that God is infinitely powerful. God is not like us. In Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, God declares, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And in Luke, chapter 18, verse 27, God said that what is impossible with man is possible with God. Wow, I never saw that verse in that light. So the point you're making is that we have to be careful to try and not limit God by assuming that God is just a sort of super kind of human being. God is far more than that. God is a being with an entirely different character and set of attributes. When God made man, he communicated some of his attributes to man, but by no means all. And even the attributes we received, we always possess in a finite fashion and not an infinite fashion. Right. Now, I'm sure that right about now, there are some listeners who might be asking, why is all this so important? I mean, what's the point of thinking so carefully about the fact that God is both transcendent and eminent? So, what is the point? Well, one point... And maybe the biggest point is that it is God's transcendence and eminence that make our salvation possible. If God were not both transcendent and eminent, we could not have been saved. I think you need to amplify that a bit. Well, as we alluded to earlier, God's attribute of justice means that he must punish wrongdoing. God is a holy and just God. He can't just ignore rebellion against himself. And as we mentioned earlier, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden, they permitted, Adam and Eve permitted evil and rebellion to enter into the human race. Adam and Eve were the ancestors of every human who has ever lived. So what they did was going to affect not just themselves, but also all of their progeny, all of their descendants, everyone who would be born according to the flesh after them. So Adam and Eve's act of rebellion did not just affect them, but also all of their descendants. Well, that obviously includes everyone who has ever lived. So again, if God were just a God of justice, one of the things God could have done was just to have immediately imposed consequences on Adam and Eve for their violation of his commandment. But God is not just a God of justice. He is also a God of mercy. So God began his plan of redemption immediately after Adam and Eve fell. But the only way that God could save man from the consequences of man's own rebellion was to pay the sin debt that man owed. 
Man is a finite creature who had offended an infinite God, while a finite creature cannot pay an infinite debt. So in order for God to pay the debt for man, God had to enter into the created order and take on a human nature. Now that's a super important point. In order for God to effectuate his plan of redemption, God had to enter into the created order and take on a human nature. So that reflects God's eminent attribute, his ability to come into the created order and do something that only a human being could do. Remember that the Bible says that there is one mediator between God and man, and that mediator is Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 and 6 say, quote, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Unquote. A mediator is one who represents two parties. Often the parties are estranged from one another. That was the case with God and man after Adam and Eve rebelled against God's command. As the second person of the Trinity, it's obvious that Jesus could represent God in the transaction of reconciliation. But in order to represent the human side of the transaction, Jesus had to enter into creation and take on a human nature. In a very profound way, the Incarnation is the most dramatic expression of God's eminence. Exactly. But we need to think a little bit more about this for just a second. In order for Jesus to be able to represent both sides of the transaction, Jesus had to be both man and God. Well, Jesus' divine nature has, of course, always been in existence. But in order to represent man, Jesus had to enter into creation. Well, when Jesus did that, he entered into the creation at a particular time and place. Now, in our history, Jesus entered into creation and took on his human nature a little over 2,000 years ago, a little over 2,100 years ago. But let's think carefully about this. Jesus could enter into creation because he possessed the attribute of eminence. But you know, a lot of the people for whom Jesus sacrificed himself didn't live while he was alive. Those people only entered the created order after Jesus had already lived and died. And that includes everyone who's alive today, including all of the believers today. So how in the world can we say that Jesus' death, not only all who had saved while he was alive, or those who had lived before Jesus lived, But how in the world could we say that all of those who would live after Jesus would also be saved by his human nature, his sacrificial atoning death on the cross? How could we say that we are saved after Jesus returned to heaven? Well, we can say that in full confidence because we have noted Jesus is not only imminent, but also transcendent. In a very, very, very real way, Jesus' death on the cross transcended and transcends all of space and time. Jesus, when he died on the cross, did not just bring within his divine nature the attribute of imminence. On the cross, Jesus' divine attribute of transcendence also came into play. So, Jesus' attributes of transcendence and eminence and the transaction that occurred on the cross is what makes our salvation possible. And I think it's important for us to understand this because, I mean, Jesus did the heavy lifting. Jesus came down from heaven, left a throne so royal that its majesty is inconceivable to human beings. 
He left that royal throne, came to earth as a baby, and then sacrificed himself in a horrible death on the cross. Jesus did all the heavy lifting. I think it's important for us, in order to understand all that Jesus did for us, to delve a little bit more deeply into how he made that transaction possible, how God made that transaction possible. And as we're going through these attributes of God, I think we can see that it is only the complementary nature of these attributes that makes our salvation possible. I think that's a great note. God is not only a God of promise, but also a God of peril. He's a God of mercy and deliverance to those who trust in His Son, but He is a God of justice to those who don't. That's the rugged truth that we have to accept and proclaim. And that is, of course, why we wanted to launch this series on the complementary attributes of God. We have to be faithful to what the Bible tells us about God, and that's also why we labor so hard on Anchored by Truth to help people build a solid foundation about the fact that the Bible is demonstrably the Word of God. If the Bible weren't the Word of God, it might be a sort of interesting book of history and philosophy, but you could safely ignore the parts about commandments, judgment, eternity, and hell. But if the Bible is the Word of God, and we certainly believe that it is, then anyone who ignores those aspects of the Bible are in the same kind of danger Adam and Eve put themselves in when they ignored God's commandment about the tree in Eden. Yes. As we work our way through all of these complementary attributes of God that we're discussing, we're going to continue to see this exact same dynamic at work. You know, it is absolutely true to say that God loves people. God is a God of love. But God's love is not divorced from His holiness or justice. And so, in order to properly understand God's attribute of being a loving God, we have to keep God's entire character in mind. Well, if God were not both transcendent and imminent, it would be very hard to see how He would have been able to arrange the transaction that allowed His love to be expressed as mercy to those people who return His love. All of this points out that the deeper our understanding is of God's character, the better able we are going to be able to worship Him as the Bible asks us to in spirit and in truth. Well, in our next episode of Anchored by Truth, we're going to continue to explore more of God's attributes and see not only how they complement each other, but also how they enable us to truly see what a great God we worship. This sounds like a great time to go to the Lord in prayer. Let's remember always to pray regularly for our nation and communities. The Bible assures us that, quote, Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, unquote, and that God hears and responds to the sincere prayers of his faithful children. Today, let's listen to a prayer for our first responders, the men and women within our own society who help to ensure our safety and safe travels. A prayer for first responders. Almighty, gracious, and heavenly Father, we come to you because you are a great God and a merciful God. Lord, we seek your face and your favor for our brothers and sisters who today selflessly perform jobs where they place the health and safety of others above their own. We are so grateful, Lord, that in our community, And in every community in our nation, there are brave men and women willing to serve as police officers, firefighters, paramedics, and other first responders. 
We thank you for each and every one of them, and we pray that you would be their constant companion and guard. Lord, we know that they have all accepted the call to serve a cause greater than themselves. In doing so, they are following the supreme example of your Holy Son, Christ Jesus, who always placed the well-being of his followers over his own. We pray that our first responders will enjoy the blessing of knowing that you are not only their strength, but their Savior. We pray that the peace of Christ that passes all understanding would enable them to be strong in their work and service. We pray everything we do and they do would serve to bring glory and honor to your name. We thank you that you have given us a part in your great work. All this we ask in the name of your precious Son and our Lord, Christ Jesus. Amen. We'd like to remind our audience that a lot of our radio episodes are linked together in series of topics. So if they've missed any episodes, or if they just want to hear one again, all of these episodes are available on your favorite podcast app. To find them, just search on Anchored by Truth by Crystal Sea Books. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage some friends to tune in also, or listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com, where we're not famous, but our boss is.